Uh, hope you've had a good week. For you who are surprised about the cold spell, and uh, particularly you from up in the northern regions, understand something about Florida. Two things. If you don't like the weather, wait 20 minutes, okay? It'll change, all right? And always, always, before Easter, you could find a freeze. Oh, yeah. Usually we have cold weather in February, hot weather in March. This year, you realize we had 90-something degree temperature in February? See, this is Florida. Yeah. It just keeps you guessing. You know, and, and, uh, you know, psychologists and doctors tell you if you work crossword puzzles and you do these things to keep your mind going, your mind always be strong. The second thing you can do is just simply move to Florida. And our weather will keep you, uh, keep you thinking, all right? Hey, how many of you have read the book of Mark? Come on. How many of you have a copy of Scripture? Bring your Scripture. Because sometimes the Scripture up here might be wrong, okay? In fact, I have been known to put wrong Scripture up just to make sure people bring a Bible. So that's just a little bit of warning, all right? This morning, Mark gets into the beginnings of things, and I, I love it. There, we're going to look at three uh, passages of Scripture to begin with. Two of them uh, will be in Mark and then one in the book of Acts. Do you need to understand the Gospels while they are all about the same subject? In fact, the Bible is all about the same subject. There are different views. There, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels because they run somewhat parallel. But they portray Jesus in a different light. Mark looks at Jesus as the suffering servant. The audience for Mark is Roman believers. That's why you will find a few references to scribes, Pharisees, uh, but you won't really, uh, he doesn't really get into the practices, the feasts, and the celebration of the Jewish people because he's writing to a primary Gentile audience. Uh, and as we've said, much of the background that Mark uh, got for his book came from the Apostle Peter, who basically, after uh, Barnabas had went to him and took him on a mission trip and kind of restored him. Uh, Peter took him under his wing and actually mentored this man. And uh, you can go to Alexandria, Egypt. And he is buried in the bottom of St. Mark's Chapel, okay? So I'm going in June to Egypt. Anybody wants to go with me, just see me after the service, and I can hook you up. All right? All right? <laughs> All right. Let's look at Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. After John the Baptist put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And we know the good news of God is what we call the gospel. I really like the words good news because it was not just good news in my life. I don't know about you, 
But the gospel is great news in my life. And that's what it is. Uh, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There are two things that are required. When God speaks into our heart, he convicts us of our sins. The fact, always remember this. Sin is looked at in two ways in the Bible. Number one, you will see S-I-N, sin, singular. And then you will see sins, S-I-N-S, plural. Whenever you see S-I-N, that is rebellion and rejection of God. That is the sin that will send you to hell. When you reject God's voice, when you reject as he speaks into your life, that is the focus of where you are making a determination of the two ends of your life. Sins are those things that we do. And understand this about sins, S-I-N-S. All sin is against God, first and foremost. When we sin against a brother by lying, when we're, we're hateful, when we are, are not courteous, when we don't love, when we lie, cheat, all of the things that we do, that is a sin against God primarily. And then it's a sin against our brother or sister. And then that sin is us against us. Because what it does is it distances us from God. God doesn't move off in a distance. We move away from him because of the guilt that's in our mind. Whether you feel guilty or think guilty, there is guilt when we know that we're coming to God with impure thoughts, with sin in our life that we have not. Because we know that to go into the presence of of someone who is perfectly holy, we ourselves must be holy. We must have clean hands. That's why there was a huge laver in the temple. Read the building of the temple. And it was filled with water. And it was there for washing for the priest primarily to cleanse them before they operated in the temple. Okay? Another verse that I like, and we're going to go back. Hello. If you don't like what I'm saying, throw lettuce. Don't shoot. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to start getting my own holster up here. Right. Here we go. Mark 1.1 1, 1 introduced this whole book by saying the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. Go to the Acts Chapter 1, please, Gene. He said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I point out those two things because I think today we as Christians, we as the body of Christ, need to re be reminded of something. When Jesus came, and here we see the beginning of his ministry, the, uh, Luke was writing about a recount of all that Jesus began to teach up until he ascended to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not 
complete yet. We sometimes live like we've got a ticket, we've made it in, and that's all that counts. And that's not really true. You see, when we are praying the kingdom of God, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is basically in three realms. It's a spiritual realm. It's a millennial realm. And it's an eternal realm. Now, in the spiritual realm, it's established in the hearts of the believers. The kingdom is being advanced every time a sinner repents and turns to Jesus. This kingdom of God is, is a kingdom of people who are, who live to obey Jesus Christ. They are identified with them. And do you realize every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are, you should ask yourself a question. When you're, when you pray, Thy kingdom come. The question we ask ourselves are, Lord, are we hastening the return for you to claim your kingdom? Because Jesus said the gospel will be preached unto all the world, to every tribe, every language, every tongue, and then the end will come. Are we speeding up? You know, we look at the events of the world and we say, wow, Jesus might come at any time at all. Listen, that puts something on you and I. Though God has blessed us with a salvation and though we are a part of that kingdom, it is an ever-expanding kingdom and no one needs to understand or fear that if we keep building this kingdom, God will run out of room. The, there are people who are architects have looked in the book of Revelation on the dimensions of heaven. And they have said that it's enough to hold everybody who has ever been born in the world. So there's plenty of room. Okay? That is his kingdom. The spiritual kingdom is established. It's growing every time a believer comes. Then there's actually going to be another kingdom, the millennial kingdom. And this is at the second coming of Christ. He will set up a visual and the key word temporary way here on earth for a thousand years. This is found in Revelation chapter 20. He said, I saw a man, an angel coming down from heaven, holding the keys to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that was, that ancient serpent, who was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations until ever, uh, anymore, until a thousand years had ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which those were seated who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. And they had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their heads. And they came to life and reigned with Christ 
for a thousand years. This is a temporary kingdom. Satan is bound. He's not done away with for a thousand years. We don't know all that we would like to know. I, I do. will tell you this. There are more books written about stuff that's going to go on in that kingdom than the Bible tells us about. Okay? So I just want you to walk carefully. Uh, you always defer to what the Word of God said. We don't know what it's going to be like. But we know a few things. We know that it's a temporary kingdom waiting until that what? Eternal kingdom is set in place. After the millennial kingdom, God will inaugurate a final eternal kingdom. This is when the timeless, measureless span of time that you and I can't wrap our heads around. It's an eternity. There is no clock. Because there is no time. There's only a beginning. Look at Revelation again. Then the angel showed me a river of water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And down the middle of the great street of that city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the of the tree are for healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants shall serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. There will be no need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Those are the kingdoms. When Mark began to write, he talked about the beginning of the good news. A second word that I want to refer you back to in this call is time is fulfilled. Now, that is not a calendar date, and it's not a tick of a clock, okay? We don't know that Jesus came back or was born on December 25th, okay? Now, I mention that because I have heard some great arguments and friendships lost over foolish stuff, okay? We don't know. What this is talking about, this is talking about... A fixed time in history. When Jesus came, the time began all over again. We designate that through B.C., before Christ, and A.D., before and after Christ. So even it, Christ's coming, it was a, he impacted the world. Galatians 4, 4 says this, but when the set time this set time was the time that God had set in his mind, just like the return of Christ, God has set it in his mind. And when Jesus walked fully man and fully God on this earth, he said, I don't even know the time of my return. Set time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's a set time in God's mind. So you've got these two things. There's one other thing we're going to define, and that is repentance. 
What is repentance? Is it sorry that you got caught? Does it mean you are sorry because it hurt a relationship? The Bible does tell us godly sorrow, but godly sorrow tends to break us because we know we failed God. And that leads to repentance. Here's what repentance is or is not. It's not a series of actions we must do to merit God's forgiveness or favor. That's called penance, and that's simply a false doctrine that was established a long time ago. Okay? It's not a bunch of actions that you work out. Okay? It's not so many Hail Marys and Our Fathers. It is not that. It's not the work of man. Instead, repentance like faith is a gift of God. It is God that planteth within us and, and really lets us know, listen, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm doing the wrong stuff. What else? Let's go with it. Commands like repent, like uh, commands to repent, like commands to believe are empowered by God. Now, as preachers, we preach, but we can't preach you into repentance, okay? That's something God is going to do. Secondly, there are many Christians are kind of like the man and his wife, the man who was having trouble in his marriage. And he went to a marriage counselor. And the marriage counselor said, ma'am, what's wrong with your marriage? She said, my husband never tells me I love her. We've been married 50 years, and he never tells me he loves me. The counselor looked at the husband and said, why haven't you told her you love her? He said, well, I told her I loved her when we got married, and I'd let her know when it changed. <laughs> you can't go that. Ladies, is that enough? And sometimes we as Christians, we feel like, well, I repented when I was a Christian way back yonder. I, I'm done repenting. No, you're not. A repentance is a life course where you reset your course of action. I've gone to the Bahamas and Bimini in a, in a boat. And if you're not constantly looking at that GPS, if you're not constantly resetting and adjusting your course, you'll wind up in places you don't want to be. And that's exactly like life. When God calls on us to repent, our response is to obey. Now, repentance simply in its easiest means this. If you're going here, you turn around and you go here. And if you're going here and God speaks, you turn around and go there. Different actions, different direction, different attitude. It is a change not only of the mind, but it is a change of the heart. And it is a change physically in how you view and lead life. Now, I'm going to do, we're going to go through uh, just a quick course about Jesus' teaching. I'm going to take this from the book of Matthew. How many of you know what the Sermon on the Mount was? Okay. That's where Jesus presented his kingdom. But there's some misconception about the Sermon on the Mountain. 
There are people who look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mountain and think that Jesus established a new law. And he did not. What the Sermon on the Mountain actually reveals is this. It's amazing. What people of God's kingdom would be like had sin never entered the world. Have you ever thought about that? There was nothing new in the mind of God. Well, I'm just, I'm going to, I want my people to be this. No, in the mind of God at creation, he had perfection and completion in his mind. A world where God communes daily with his people. But yet sin came in the world and it marred it. Jesus, when he began his ministry, he began to preach and he presented it. And he simply said, this is God's plan for the people of God's kingdom. There, Jesus gave a new way to look at life. What is that new way? It's the Beatitudes. It talks about a humble life. A life of peacemaking, a life of power under control, meekness. It talks about a complete new way of life. It talks about a new self. Uh, it says, Jesus said to the people, you are the light of the world. Have you thought about that? See, darkness is nothing but the absence of light. If you have nothing. Then you have darkness. And you see, that's the key issue about all of this meditation stuff. The first thing it tells you to do is completely remove from your mind everything you're thinking. Just, just, you know, clear your mind. You know when people's mind is clear. Go look at how they drive on Highway 40 right down here, okay? That's, that's how you have a clear mind. But there's a, there's a problem with that. If you clear your mind of everything, Satan will fill your mind with junk. You see, we're told in the Bible to meditate, but we're told to meditate on the Word of God. And we need to realize that as people of God, people of His kingdom, where we go should bring light into darkness. And many times... People don't know they're in darkness until they know what light is. Secondly, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. That's the flavoring of that. It's that, that preservative of life. That's who God's people are. He, he said there's a, a new way of looking at sin. He said it's been said If you murder someone, that's a sin. I want to tell you that if you hate your brother, you have already committed murder. He said, you're not supposed to commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust in your heart. Now, I want to point out something. Ladies can lust just like men. Okay? I should have heard a bunch of amens from from the men of our audience. You guys are sleeping. This lust, if you have these thoughts in your mind, Jesus said you have already committed them. Because you need to understand the walk with Christ is a completely mind, soul, and body 
experience. It's changed. Jesus don't change just a little bit. You know, it's like uh, if you baptize somebody and their hand don't get under. I've had people say, oh, you got to do that again. They're not, not completely saved. No, 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 no. When you are saved, you are saved all over. And it's a different mind concept. And, and when you look at the what Jesus was teaching here, uh, he, he taught us how to pray. He, he said this word. He said, you need to understand before you begin to pray, God already knows everything you need. So why are you spending all of your time asking God for stuff that nine out of ten times you don't really need, you find out you don't want when you got, get it, and you forget the meteor, the weightier things, and that prayer is a, the Lord's prayer is simply obedience and yielding to God. Your kingdom come. Your name is holy. Forgive those that sin against me as I am forgiven. Just give me my daily bread, my substance for this day. It is a yielded going before God. Now, does that mean you can't put in prayer requests? No, not at all. You can't. But you see, what Jesus was giving was an attitude of prayer. Okay? He he went on. He talked about laying up treasure in heaven. It talked about do not be anxious. It's amazing that we are amazed, anxious and fear what we cannot control and we don't trust the only one in this whole universe that can control, and that's Christ. He controls. So we shouldn't be anxious because where we are and what's going through us and with us is where God has placed it in his permissive will. And you say, man, that's hard to think about. Let me tell you something. December the 9th, I wound up on my back in, in an opera, in a emergency room, looking up the ceiling, listening to people saying, I don't think his heart's going to make it. I didn't want to be there for not one minute. But you know what I found out in that time? I laid there, and you know what my thoughts were? I don't know if I've told you this or not. I was wondering why I wasn't afraid. Now, I'm not Superman. I get afraid, okay? I got real scared after it got all over. But during that time, I just, I was, I was a laying girl going, I probably, this is probably stupid. I think I'm dying, and I'm not afraid. You know, there is a sense within you. In those times that we don't want to be there, that God reaches in with an assurance of peace. It's like he's saying, I got this. You just trust me. Jesus also gave a good uh, prescription for checkup. It says the eye is the light of the body. But if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That actually has the feeling of double darkness, dark, dark. You know, when you get away from the city and get out to where there's no lights within miles, on a night with no moon, it's dark. 
in a night with no moon and no stars. It's dark, dark. That's the darkness in the life of a Christian. When the dark, the light that they say that they have is darkness. That's when we live by opinions. That's when we talk, when we have a worldview, when we yield to the master of this world. And our outlook and our view is not biblical. God's kingdom gives us a cause. That's to bring light into darkness. Gives us a mission. That is to proclaim the gospel. And more important, it gives us a purpose in life. If I, I don't know if you have kept up or read the number of suicides. Suicides are going out of control. And they're not just older people filled with disease who don't want to live anymore. No, it's young people with seemingly everything in the world, but they have no purpose in life. And that purpose in life is you are living to bring glory to someone who loves you. Someone who has changed your life. Someone who has strengthened you. You see, the whole course of life is in that golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Jesus quoted that again when he said, somebody said, what is the greatest law? He said, to love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your being. And he said, the second one is likened to it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor and doing to others as you would have them do unto you is the same thing. When we love somebody, we love in correspondence. We want to be loved. I've had people say, I don't care if I'm loved. I don't believe that for one second. Everybody wants to be loved. But when we are loved by our creator, the one that looks at us with all the bumps, all the warts, and says, I love you. That's why I gave my son to pay the debt you couldn't pay. Proverbs 4.23 says, says this. Above all else. In Greek, it just simply means when you've got the list, this is above everything you can think of. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Repentance is a good course adjuster. Prayer conditions our heart. Obedience, trust, faith, understanding the world events. Understand bad things happen. But understand that we will go through it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not left us. And the one thing I truly believe in fact, a, an ancient philosopher said it. said the one thing that keeps people from trusting Christ is the life of people who have. Now, that's, that's terrible, and I, I don't know how exactly true that is. But you see, your neighbor, 
you know, you can preach scripture to them and you can tell them scripture and you can pray scripture. But you know what your neighbor wants to see? How's that going for you? How's that doing you? That belief you have, how's that doing? Because they want to see. Now, we can judge and say, oh, that's wrong. All you want to. But you see, that's what Jesus said we would be. Remember when he said, you're the light of the world? You're the salt of the world? That's what he's talking about. We're out there living the gospel and saying to people, come with me. We're going to go through this. This morning, you may need a kind of an adjustment. That's a good thing because you don't wind up in a ditch. It's a good time to look at your life. Sometimes, maybe somebody here, somebody online, you've never received Christ as your Savior. There's no better time than today. I'll tell you something I've lived with. God has blessed me in the last 20 years. I've gone literally all over the world. And I'm going to share something you may think is silly. I've been in some dark places. And I've been sharing with Jesus. And I often wondered what it would be like to be in the middle of darkness. I mean sinful darkness. Evil And you're talking to someone and they come to Christ and the heavens break open and Christ comes back to earth. You've got that last person. That's one reason I travel. That's one reason I like to plant churches. We plant churches with new believers for Jesus. And I tell you, if I'm alive, when that sky busts open, boy, what a jig we're going to dance I want to ask you guys, start here. Start next week by bringing somebody here on Tuesday. Somebody that needs to hear the gospel. And the definition of that is everybody needs to hear the gospel, including those that have heard it. Because I'll tell you, when Christ comes, we ourselves want to be ready. Ready, clean hands a pure heart, blameless before God. Father, thank you that the gospel can do all those things. This morning, for those that are online, I pray, Lord, you have touched their heart, piked an an interest, touched a nerve. And, oh, God, I pray that they have, Lord, they touch that I have decided button because that's a, that's a reaching out. I want to know more. This morning, someone sitting here maybe needs to just kind of renew, renew their commitment, renew their faith, renew their trust. Lord, when the gospel's preached, it's there for us to use. It's there for us to be strengthened and emboldened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.